Hey there, everyone. It is Jeff from MCS Magazine, and in many of our broadcasts and on our blog, you're going to hear us talk about the importance of everyday carry gear for your daily tactical preparedness. And one of those items that I'm betting you have right now, even as you're listening to me, is some version of a folder knife. Am I right? I thought so. But let me ask you this. Are you sure that you have the right knife when it comes to having it as a backup self-defense weapon? And do you know how to get to it quickly, get it open, and actually use it for your own survival if you need to, even in the adrenalized state of a real street attack? Well, never fear, because in this week's episode, you're going to get expert instruction on how to choose and use a combat folder for self-defense from somebody who has made edge weapons one of the primary pillars of his tactical training. Check this out. If bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. My guess is about 95% of you listening to me right now have some kind of knife on you as you listen to this. Besides being a handy everyday carry tool, a knife is one of the most common weapons out there. From you and me using it for self-defense to the criminals and predators who we're going to be facing who are using it for other reasons, anyone with even the basic grasp of force and violence knows that a knife helps stack the odds in your favor. Now, arguably, if you're going to carry a knife for self-defense, you've probably heard us talk before about the advantage of a fixed blade knife over a folder knife. Now, that's because a folding knife requires more time and fine motor skills to deploy during an adrenaline-charged real-life attack. But what happens if you can't carry a small fixed plate? What if it's not legal where you are? What if you work at a job where you might be able to get away with a folding knife, but a fixed blade would get you into trouble? If your only tool for self-defense is a combat folder knife, what are the best methods for choosing, carrying, and deploying this type of weapon to give yourself the best chance of surviving a violent altercation? Well, that's exactly what we're going to find out. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson with Modern Combat and Survival Magazine and the New World Patriot Alliance with another podcast to help you better prepare in your role as a protector and a patriot. Our special guest is a tactical self-defense trainer who takes a real no-nonsense approach when it comes to self-defense with knives. Please welcome Chris Fry back to the program. Chris, thanks for taking some time for us today. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It's always great to have you back on here. Now, listen, everyone, if you haven't heard any of our other interviews with Chris yet, Chris is a lifelong martial artist and instructor who has specialized in high-intensity force-on-force combative simulation training since 1990. He holds instructor certifications in the Filipino martial arts, Jeet Kune Do, multiple karate systems, combat concepts, less lethal weapons, fear adrenalized stress training, and various NRA and tactical firearms training programs. Now, Chris has been active in the executive protection industry with the training to back it up, having graduated numerous courses 
in handgun, shotgun, carbine, and force-on-force tactics from some of the top names in the industry. Now, he's currently the owner and director of training for Modern Defensive Training Systems, servicing law enforcement, military, and civilians, as well as select government agencies in reality-driven courses for extreme close-quarters combatives, defensive folding knife and edged weapons, and practical pistol, carbine, and shotgun skills. Now, for more information on Chris and his training, please visit him on his website at www.mdtstraining.com. Okay, Chris, let's go ahead and get started. I mean, first of all, there's all kinds of different combat folders that are out there. And so from your experience and testing the different ones that are out there and, and really putting them into like a, a force-on-force training situation, what are the what are the major characteristics that someone should look for when choosing the best combat folder knife for them? Well, I would say the number one would be a strong lock because um, ultimately a folding knife is a broken knife, right? And if the lock is poor, I don't care if it's got the best steel, I don't care if it's got the best blade. Uh, you know, it could be the the most tactical looking knife around, but if the lock is not solid and it's a poor lock and it ends up closing up on your fingers while you're trying to apply it during a defensive situation, uh, it's not going to make things easier for you. So uh, you need to look at the different types of locking mechanisms. There's access locks, there's there's lock backs, there's liner locks. Do a little bit of study and find out which ones are best for, for you uh, and test each of your knives. Um, I just did a blog piece on my blog on my website Uh, And that blog piece is actually about testing your tactical folding knife, testing Mm. the the lock on it, because it's that's how important it is. Um, I've unfortunately cut myself before with poor knives, and I've seen other people, you know, get some bad, bad cuts with poor locks on knives. So I think that's number one. Number two, uh, blade length. I think that you mentioned in the intro there a little bit about legality and why we might be carrying a folder versus a fixed blade to begin with legality also applies to the folders because when that knife is opened up, the blade length meets certain length requirements. And depending upon the jurisdiction that you live in and travel through and go to, you need to understand the laws there. You need to understand what you can and cannot carry. There are some city ordinances that have certain lengths of knives. So uh, do your research um, and find a knife that best matches your, your, uh, your jurisdiction and the laws in that jurisdiction. And then the third thing that I think is important is the um, actual the, the grip and handle of the knife. You need you need to have a knife that has a good grip on it. So you want something that is not stainless steel, a stainless steel handle or a real smooth handle. You want something that um, maybe has some kind of uh, a textured surface to it. Uh, a lot of the G10 handles, and most of these quote-unquote tactical-type knives have something like that, but some of them don't. Um, so, you know, they're, they're sold as a, you know, as a, as a you know, cool-looking folding knife, and um, it's, it's great. Um, I like all knives, but there are certain knives that I would carry, you know, because I might want to, I, I might need it to protect myself, and then there are certain knives that just kind of sit in my collection at home. So... That's off the top of my head. Those are the three big ones. Yeah, the, other, the only other thing that I always look for when I'm when I'm looking at a combat folder, I always have to test this because depending upon where you're carrying, I know we're, gonna, we're I'm going to be asking a question about like where like the best way to carry it. And for me, if if it's in my like my front pocket, if it's clipped in the normal place that you would find it, 
if I reach down to grab it and I pull it, pull it off, if it's got the, you know, the, the built-in clip on it and I pull it off with my knife, my, my thumb is exactly where the opener is at, you know, and, and the blade is pointed in a way that I don't have to f- turn it around in my hand or flip it around in, in a certain way for me to get to the opener. And I've seen knives with exactly the opposite type of a, of a construction than I'm used to. So in other words, I would have to pull it out flip the knife all the way around to get to the opener to deploy it how I would normally pull it out. And it always amazes me. Like I would think that it would be kind of standardized in the industry now, but I guess there's different ways to that people wear it, they deploy it, they want to use it, that I guess it's more, you can customize it more. And that's part of the selection process, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some, there's, there's two different big schools of thought when it comes to what you're talking about there. I, I if, if I'm tracking, and that is either tip up carry or tip down carry. Yes. And, and with with tip up carry, oftentimes when you stick your hand in your pocket, and that's what I prefer and what I advocate. Uh, there are some big name trainers out there that say that's wrong. So again, it's up to you as the consumer and and as the end user to go out and train with everybody you can and, and figure out what works for you. But having tested this a lot under pressure versus just kind of. You know, mm-hmm. doing some stuff in the dojo with a friend that is, you know, not really, you know, we're having fun, we're we're practicing, but we're not really going after each other. Uh, the tip up carry is is goes in line with what you're talking about. There's less manipulation in the hand to have to do. And mm-hmm. number one, you you got to open that folder. That's a huge obstacle to begin with. Let, getting it out of the pocket and then and then deploying the blade, opening the blade, and I equate that to carrying a gun with with no round of the chamber. Uh, if, if I draw a handgun and I don't have a round chambered, I've got to uh, manipulate that slide to chamber that first round. And I'm not an advocate of that at all because time is of the essence if I have to protect myself or somebody else. And that same thing applies. I mean, unfortunately, with a folding knife versus a fixed blade, we have that manipulation. We have to get that folder out of our pocket and we have to thumb or use our other hand or use a wave or one-handed opening mechanism that's on the knife to try to deploy that blade. And that's one extra manipulation that we have to do during a potentially stressful, fearful, very not regular situation for us, not something that we're, we're commonly used to. Yeah. So um, that's a great point, Jeff. I, you know, where that, the other thing is the size of your hand and the size of the knife. One, one thing that I teach people is look for a knife to where when you do stick your thumb down and behind that knife to, to get a grasp on it and, and pull it out from the pocket, that your thumb, either you practice choking up and getting as close to the, the opening mechanism, whether it's a stud, a, a spider co hole, a, a disc or, or wafer or whatever the opening mechanism is, try choking up forward towards that mechanism every single time you practice pulling that uh, folder out of your pocket or find a folder that is a little, maybe a little bit smaller, but when your hand goes in your pocket, your thumb is right there by it because you don't want to have to adjust that during the fight. You don't have, you, you know, you're not going to get a second chance to say, hey, slow down a second. I need to get a better grip on this knife in order to open my blade. That's not going to happen. Yeah. So um, this all goes in line with setting yourself up for success, which is, you know, very, very important. And that's why we train and why we practice. 
Yeah, really good points. I guess, you know, if you, if you, if you, those of you that are listening, if you have a knife and you're pulling it out, even just if you're opening up boxes, you know, just kind of take special consideration, like think, do you have to turn it around in your hand? How easy is it for you to get to it? And these are things that you might not think about because you're used to opening it up for a box, but under the adrenaline charge fury of a real fight, it's, it's not going to be like you're opening it up to, to get a, a box taken care of. So, so all, all good things to consider. Now, now Chris, we, we talked about kind of, well, we talked about the pocket, you know, but where should I carry my folding knife and what are the clothing and the lifestyle and any physical considerations that I need to keep in mind for, for carrying it the right way? Uh, okay. Uh, pretty broad question there. Um, uh, I'm I'm a big advocate of carrying any kind of primary tool that I rely upon to protect my life for the life of somebody else, uh, hips forward. So if it's a if it's a if it's a handgun, if it's a knife, if it's if it's my pepper spray, because that's all I can carry, I want it hips or or uh, the line of the seam of my pants, you know, on or they go down the sides of my pants forward, because simply because. That's where my hands, when you, when you let your hands, uh, hang to the, to the side of your body or in front of you, your hands naturally dangle around that area. And the closer I can get the knife to where the natural dangle is of my hand, the faster I'm going to be at accessing and deploying that, that folding knife. Uh, we talked a little bit about having to manipulate the blade and open it. So this is setting us up to where carrying it in a position that it's very close to that hand and I can, I can get to it fast. If I have to go behind my, my hip, if I have to go to like my back pocket, you know, when there's nobody attacking you, that seems like it's no big deal and you can do it really fast. But, um, whenever I move my, one of my arms behind my hip, I have just weakened my physiological ability to get that hand to come forward if there's somebody right there trying to stop me. Whereas if my arm and my hand and wrist and elbow are in front of my hip, then I can use my, I can engage more muscles in my body, my, my torso, my, my waistline, my chest, my arm, all the muscles that, that are there, I can engage them to put them into, into the access and, and effort of deploying the blade and, and applying it in a defensive manner. I'm not going to use as many of those muscles if I got to go behind my hip. And this is a very simple way to test this is, uh, take a blue gun, take a training knife, uh, something with a dull edge, put it in your back pocket and simply have somebody, you know, follow your drop, put, put a hand on your wrist and try to bring your wrist forward towards them. Like you're going to, you know, uh, try to stick them with that knife. And you will see how much more difficult it is with that knife behind your hip and trying to get it forward than it is when it's in front of your hip. Hmm. So that's number one. Clothing, uh, clothing considerations is, uh, one of my uh, big, you know, things is I try to limit cover garments to one layer. So I, just like with my guns, I don't want multiple, if, if, if I have to draw that knife from somewhere, I don't want to have to go through two or three layers of clothing. So in the winter, maybe carry it in my coat pocket. My hands are in my coat pocket. It's right there. It's easy to access. In the summertime, I limit it to just a t-shirt that might be covering the folder, depending upon where I'm carrying it. Um, so that's something to be really uh, uh, consider carefully because that clothing adds another another layer of tasking, another layer of trouble and problems that you have to solve in the you know moment. And then I think you mentioned lifestyle. You know, what are some of the things? Well, uh, number one, the law. I need to understand use of force. I need to to study that. I need to understand the laws of use of force in the area that I live. 
the areas that I work, the areas that I travel through and go to. And it's my responsibility. Ignorance is not no justification. So you can't say, I didn't know that, that that's not going to bode well for you in a court of law if you ever have to defend yourself. So study the law, understand, you know, where a knife fits into the law, where you live. And, and I think that's huge. Uh, number two is work. Um, like you mentioned it earlier, some employers have no weapon policies. So, you know, what, how are you going to work your way around that? Maybe I, I know most employers where I live in the area, I live in the Northeast, they don't necessarily say no fixed blades. They just say no knives. So that, you know, mm. fixed blade or folders. So now you get into the question, is that a policy? Is that a, an actual written law? Is it, is it, is it a business's policy that, that I might choose to, um, you know, ignore? I, I don't know. That's, that's your personal decision and I'm not advocating that, but these are things that you need to think about. Uh, you need to do your research. And so that goes back to the last thing that I'll give you, and that is you need to decide whether you want to live your lifestyle by carrying a folding knife or a fixed blade, whether you want to live it as a, a and carry that folder as an overt display that you have something on you or be covert about it. Uh, we carry, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate of carrying my handgun concealed. I don't want anybody to know anything that I've got on me. Uh, for, there's a lot of reasons for that that we can talk about in a different interview. Yeah. But, um, I, I like the idea of being completely covert with my folding knives, with, with everything that's on me. So, um, I like keeping things. I don't like seeing clips on pockets when I, I mean, when I'm out in public, I look around at people and I see a guy that's got a knife clipped in his pocket. What in, what data does that tell me about that individual? Number one, he's, he's armed. He, if, if something bad goes wrong or he gets near me, he has a potential weapon. Uh, number two, depending upon what side of the body that, that folder's on, he, I can make a pretty good assumption that he's either right or left-handed. Now, what does that information tell me? Well, if I'm looking at people and making these, these assessments, then are criminals looking at us and making these assessments? The third thing to ask yourself is, okay, what do you see a lot of gun people also have on them? Folding on with clips. Mm-hmm. And criminals, criminals know this. They look at these clips and they say, well, this guy, has got this folding knife clipped in his pocket, or maybe he's got two folding knives. I see one in his right and one in his left. There's a good chance this guy maybe have it, might have a handgun on him. And while some criminals might say, hey, I don't want to mess with this guy. He's probably bad news. There are other criminals that will say, hey, this guy's got a gun on him that can fetch me four, five, six hundred bucks on the street when I sell it, when I take it off of him, when I, when I attack him by surprise, catch him unaware, and take his stuff. So these are all things to consider and when it comes to your lifestyle. So I know um, you just made me rethink where I'm carrying it because I carry several knives on me, but my combat folder typically is in my pocket, and I don't carry anything over it. So I know it is showing the clip. And um, so, and I do, and I agree with you. Like I want to be as covert as possible. I don't want people to know anything that I'm wearing, but I'm obviously out there in display. So do you have like a, your go-to best place that you think fits the criteria that you're looking for that you, you like to carry a, a point up knife with a clip on it? Yeah. Um, I, I'm a big fan of strong side. If, if I'm not carrying, uh, if I'm carrying a handgun, that's mm-hmm. my primary tool. I generally carry some type of knife on the opposite side of my body. That's a good point. And that's kind of like a backup. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't want both of my primary tools because, you know, a gun and a knife, they're both lethal force tools. I don't care what anybody tells you, they are lethal force tools. And,
And there's no court of law that's going to look at that a knife and say, oh, that's less than lethal. If you if you use a knife on somebody, if you have to protect yourself and, and stab or cut somebody with a knife, you have just drawn a lethal force tool on somebody. So you have to deal with that and understand that. So if I'm carrying a gun, I want the knife on the opposite side of my body. That's just me. Some guys decide to carry both. They have a gun and a knife on one side and a knife on the other side. That's, you know, again, personal preference. But if I'm carrying that knife, if I'm not carrying a gun and I'm carrying just a knife, then it is on the strong side of my body for my dominant hand. And usually for most people, it's that strong side front pocket. So we met, we meet that requirement of being in front of the hips. And um, I designed a, a device that um, Raven Concealment now, is they manufacture and sell. It's called a pocket shield, a uh, modulator pocket shield. And that is a moldable piece of plastic, Kydex type uh, plastic that goes in that front pocket or whatever pocket, and you can mount a folder to it. You can mount fixed blades to it. We've got guys that are running small auto pistols mounted to it with holsters. That it's uh, there's a, a link on my website where you can read all about it. But that is that's the way that I prefer to carry. It keeps it covert. Nobody knows I got anything. It hides what's in the pocket behind it. Um, it's uh, just a little kind of a neat device that I came up with because of exactly what we're talking about. I got hmm. sick of, I mean, I live in the Northeast here and, you know, I, uh, with, there's Susie soccer mom that's out there that doesn't like knives and guns. And, you know, I don't like people asking me questions and I want to draw as little attention to me as possible. So I just, I'm not one of these guys that runs around and wants to, you know, overtly display all my stuff to people. I could care less. I just want to be left alone. Wow. That's really good stuff. That's, that's a uh, really good points there. Um, okay, we're talking with Chris Fry of MDTSTraining.com about how to choose and use a combat folder for self-defense. And we obviously have uh, we've gotten into a lot. We've got a lot more to get into, including the fastest way to get your knife out and into business mode so it can do its job in saving your life. Real-world knife fighting tactics the criminals hope you never find out. And how to safely train for combat folder knife fighting to make sure that your skills are razor sharp pun intended, when you're forced to survive. All that and more coming right up, but first, check out this special message. Imagine staring up at a six foot nine, 350 pound biker dude, rage in his eyes, ready to cram a beer bottle down your throat as payback for bumping into him. Would you know exactly what to do without cowering in fear, without begging for mercy, without getting stomped to the floor and beaten while your family watches in horror? You will now with this simple three-step plan. One, don't take your family to biker bars. That's really kind of stupid. Isn't it? Two, harden your mind with bulletproof warrior confidence. And three, master your own secret bag of shockingly powerful fight tricks. Waiting for you and your free DVD you can claim now at DefeatLargerAttackers.com. In a real fight, you don't have the option of losing. Not when your life or the safety of your family hiding behind you is on the line. You need to know exactly what to do in those first few seconds of an attack and end it quickly and walk away with your life, your loved ones, and your pride intact. In this free DVD, you'll discover the street fighting secrets for how to knock a bigger, stronger man head first into the pavement with brutal, unstoppable power and speed regardless of your size, strength, or even if you've never been in a fight before in your life. Claim your free DVD now while this offer is still available at www.defeatlargerattackers.com and unleash your true potential to kick ass. 
And now, back to the show. Okay, we're back with Chris Fry of MDTSTraining.com, talking about combat folder knife fighting. And we do have a lot more to get into, so let's go ahead and jump back in now. Hey, Chris, we've, we've all heard, and we, and we talk about this all the time, about like when you're adrenalized, your fine motor skills just go to hell. And that's going to make it difficult to draw and, and use a folding knife for, for combat. So how, what is the best way? How do I consistently deploy a folding knife for self-defense under stress? Uh, have a method. Have a have a robust method to access and deploy the folder, and so that's what training is for. Go to a class with somebody that you trust. Do a little bit of research. Think about you know look at look at some some names out there, people that that offer this type of training. Uh, go to more than one class because you know just because one guy tells you to do it this way might not necessarily be the best way. It might not be the way that works for you. So go to multiple classes, get some training. Once you've got that training. Then we, then the big, the, the real work for us comes in and that work is practice. And the best way to get good at that and to be able to rely upon your, your ability to draw and deploy, access and deploy and, and be ready to defend yourself with that knife is through that practice. And any physical skill that we do needs to be burnt into our neural pathways through repetition. And so, you know, you can't take uh, somebody and give them one piano lesson and expect them to play, you know, a song unless they're some type of, you know, savant genius. And the same thing applies to fighting. The same thing applies to shooting. Same thing applies to working with a folding knife or a fixed blade. We need to practice it. And so, um, as you and I have spoke about before, I'm a huge advocate of daily, some type of daily maintenance or or skill building practice. What we what I refer to as micro practice sessions. You know, five minutes a day. Take your, take a, buy a trainer for your folder. You can get a, gr- a great folding knife trainer right now that's available on Amazon.com. And maybe you could throw a link up, uh, you know, from, from the site when we get done talking, um, is a Kershaw Emerson training knife. It's got a blue scale on it. They're about 25 bucks. Great price. Very robust, solid trainer. Dull blade. And it's got a good clip on it. It's got, you know, you can, there's multiple opening methods with it. So you can practice. It'll, it'll meet most of the needs for most technical folders. And, uh, and then take that and, and work five minutes a day in the morning or at night when you get home, when you're watching TV, sit and practice, you know, uh, a method for accessing and deploying that blade. And then after, once you've done that for, you know, a month, maybe two, three times a week, before you know it, you kind of, you know, you're kind of getting in the groove and you're going to notice that those neural pathways are starting to be built up. And then the next phase of that is to go back and do more training with maybe somebody that pressurizes it or find a buddy that will throw on a pair of boxing gloves or even just take one boxing glove and don't even put it on a fist, but smack you with it while you're trying to draw that blade. And this gives you a little bit of adrenaline. This gives you a little bit of, wow, I'm getting hit in the face. I'm getting pushed. Um, this guy's trying to stop me. And, and so this will build, again, this will test those neural pathways and it will build new ones and, and, and you will adapt to that pressure. And before you know it, it's, it becomes kind of, I'm not going to say second nature, but it's going to, with practice, it'll become easier. And anything worth having, Jeff, when it comes to physical skills, when it comes to self-defense, takes work. You got to work at it. And that is one kind of missing link that I think a lot of people, they think they can go to one class and, and they got it, you know, and, and that is your ego fooling you. You you need to work on these physical skills. 
Yeah, you know, I've I got one comment and one question for you. So, so the comment kind of goes back to what you were saying before with, because I bet like 75%, I'm going to guess three quarters of the people listening that do carry a, a combat folder probably have it in their strong side, right? Like it's because you're not used to drawing your weapon in a, in an altercation, unless you're a police officer who you've really had to kind of realize the hard way that you wouldn't be able to get to your backup or you're just used to carrying backups on the opposite side and you know that but for the average civilian out there they're probably carrying it strong side and so if our conversation here if our interview with chris changes your mind and you look at okay i do carry a weapon for for concealed carry and that makes a lot of sense which it does to me like carry it on your support side in case you have to get to it well then you're probably not used to opening a knife with your opposite hand with your we'll call it a weak hand but i guess you know your opposite hand so that's going to take a lot more training for you but like chris says you know just kind of putting it over there you've, you've got to get used to opening it up you've got to be able to get used to using it with that hand if you if you've got a, a backup or something like that so so that is going to take a little bit of extra stuff here now the other thing i'll, I'll ask a question back to you chris with um because with deployment People become very, no matter whether it's a gun or a knife, people get very like weapon focused, right? So if you're ambushed, which most attacks are going to be some sort of a close quarters type ambush, or it's going to be very close, you might not have time, especially when the adrenaline's going, to be able to get to your weapon fast enough. And so that means you might have to get distance to get to whatever your weapon is, just as you know we talk about with a firearm. So do you do the same thing like with your force on force training and everything? Would you... Do you um like if do you tell somebody to go straight for the knife or to gain distance first or what's your what do you tell people? Uh, I'm a huge advocate of having a physical skill set prior to having a weapon skill set, whether that's gun or knife. Uh, you uh, unfortunately, I think that there's been this tendency in the uh, community and in the, in the industry for years to just have people draw guns and knives and think that that's all that is required. But um, like you like you mentioned, most of these types of self-defense incidents uh, are going to occur very close range. You're, you're probably going to be caught a little bit off balance, a little bit of unaware, and uh, and and you're going to be reacting. And so um, going straight for a knife, going straight for a gun is taking one hand out of the fight, so to speak setting yourself up for getting getting struck by some one or two people. So uh, me personally, we, we run a, a training series of drills where we start people off with good physical defense at close range and then fighting our way to a dominant position where whether it's very, very close and right on top of the person, we get into a dominant position where we're right in contact with them where we're semi-safe, we call it unconventional cover and concealment, where we're actually, you know, in contact with them, but semi-safe for a moment in time. And then when the time's right, we can go for that tool. Uh, or if we time allows, then we will create space by either moving ourselves away from them or moving them away from us, depending upon the size of the adversary and, and strength levels and other physical attributes. But yeah, uh, you either close distance to create an opportunity to draw the tool or you extend distance to create an opportunity to draw the tool good point um, yeah. but it, uh, a physical skill set is absolutely required and that is you know again takes work and there's more to this than just carrying a knife yeah yeah okay so now that i have my my knife deployed are there any specific like go-to tactics that you suggest for defending yourself uh yeah um you know it, it, 
doing this over like without being able to demo or anything. Yeah. Just talking here. Uh, my, my biggest here, I'll, I'll give you a couple here that, um, just to think about for, for everybody to kind of think about. Number one, um, get the point of the knife between you and the adversary right away. The sooner I can get a sharp piece of metal between me and somebody that's trying to harm me, the sooner that um, they can see it, the sooner that they can uh, think that I've got something. They, you know, I, I might even yell at them, say, you know, uh, get away from me, I, you know, back away. I've got a knife. And I might even display to them so that so that they see that point, and plus that point now gives them a psychological message, right? Where what do they have to get through to get to me? If they this tests their determination. Are they really determined to harm me? Are they really determined to close distance with me and do me harm? If they are, they're going to have to go through this sharp point of metal, pointy piece of metal. Uh, so maybe at that point they deselect and say, hey, this individual is too much work. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to get caught. And they deselect and leave you alone. Um, number two is keep the point between you and them. So whatever skills you practice, whatever training you get, think I want you to constantly reevaluate it and think to yourself, how long is this point, is this blade away from being in, in between us? So you look at like slashing, you know, uh, a, a, a forehand slash from my right shoulder to my left hip, you know, a big arcing kind of like a tennis racket kind of slash, you know, scary, uh, powerful maybe, but that's an arc. That takes a lot of time. You know, arcs are generally slower than straight lines. And if we look at just math, right, a, a thrust it stays in line with the adversary, keeps it up in their face, keeps keeps them aware of this pointy object that's between us. And it doesn't take the the, the business end of the tool out of the that line, you know, like a, like an arcing type slash might do, you know. Yeah. So um, that is something to think about. Uh, the third thing is, is like I said, that maybe that verbal, that verbal command, you know, if, if I do, uh, apply the blade and, and get the, get a, a cut on the individual or poke them with it, uh, maybe I, I express to them, Hey, you're caught, you're bleeding, you're bleeding and, and get them to realize, you know, some people, a lot of people hate the sight of their own blood, right? So, um, you know, you, you want to reinforce again, that psychological message that, to, to get a, to me, Jeff, the big goals for a knife is I want to just keep people, get people off of me if they, if they've closed distance with me in that close range confrontation, they're trying to assault me, rob, rape, kidnap, assault, whatever it is. I want to get them away from me and I want to keep them away from me. That is it. I don't want to go to town on this individual and cut them 15 times like we see in all these YouTube videos. And I understand the difference between training skills and, uh, intent, but, the more we practice cutting somebody 52 times and poking somebody 52 times, the more likely we're going to do that under stress. We do what we train. And I could tell you a little story about that. If you'd like uh, where, where we've seen that in training where people have done a lot of knife training and then we put them under stress, we put them under pressure. They go to town. They go, they, they got, they achieve their goal, right? What's my goal of drawing a gun? It's to stop somebody, right? I, I don't want to, I don't want to cause somebody death unless I absolutely have to. It's to stop them. And the same thing with the knife. But we see people with knives, especially guys and girls that have had a lot of knife, quote-unquote, knife training. They draw their knife, and they go right after the individual because in class, that's what, you know, that's what you're taught to do in some, in some place. So, so you're saying, so you're saying like, you know, just like if you had a, if you had a firearm and you have to use it for self-defense, 
but you're up to there in the jury and it's like, okay, well, why did you, why did you shoot him with all 15 rounds from your Glock and then reload and shoot him with another, another magazine? Like you, did you need to shoot him 30 times when he was already down on the ground? So you're saying if, if you're one of those knife fighters and you're slashing them all up, once they, if you have to defend your actions, did you really need to slice the person 52 times? Is that what, is that what you're saying yeah, the major yeah. thing is? These are things to think about. Uh, again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not right. this isn't legal advice. These are these are just things that I try to express to my students and the people that work with me in the sense of uh, be be careful what you are training yourself to do. And it, you express it very well there. I mean, if I draw a gun in self defense and I can can get someone to stop and leave me alone and back away or or or, or two shots do the job or three shots do the job, should I? you know, empty the magazine on them after the three shots got the person to run away or drop and stop. No, I, I'm, I've achieved my goal. My goal is to stop them. That's it. And the same thing applies to the knife. So, um, again, be, be aware of what you're training and what you're training yourself to do, because when we get under that stress, we revert to what we've trained. So, so let me ask you, let me ask you this. I'll play a little bit of devil's advocate here because like you said, it's a, it's a deadly weapon. And the only real reason to take it out is if you feel that your life is in jeopardy, that you're going to have to use it to defend your life. And yep. so when you're looking at actually fighting and you're looking at the target, let's say that, you know, you have it in front of you and you're going to, to reach out. Somebody's coming after you. They've, they've maybe seen the knife, maybe told them that you have a knife. They decide they're going to take a chance anyway, or maybe they start to go for something behind them that could be a gun. Do you like, what's the best target? I mean, my, you, I'm going to say like my thought process is straight distance. Like you said, shortest distance between two points is, you know, between A and B is, is a straight line. So, going straight toward the face with that blade rather than trying to hope that you get through the clothing or they don't twist and turn or something like that? Or what's your, is, is there like a, like, yeah, you know? Yeah, that's exactly, we, we teach, I teach uh, two different, what we refer to as targeting priorities and that is face and fork. So the face uh, because of the eyes and the psychological response, uh, um, you know, I mean, nobody likes something sharp. Yeah, look, look at the reaction people have when uh, a bee flies at their face. Look at the reaction people have when they get something in their eye. What do they do? Uh, there's a definite psychological reaction. And then you compound that when you take a sharp piece of metal and they're coming at you pretty fast and you stick that up and get that in their face. It's a, it's a strong deterrent. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to solve all your problems. I'm not saying that's going to stop the guy. There are some tough, strong, determined people out there but it's uh like you mentioned if i just start targeting the midsection and maybe their hands or or, or something like that coats leather coats um just people being tough uh we we look at you know i i yeah. i have seen working in the medical field for 20 years i've i've seen human beings take amazing amounts of damage and continue to fight so uh a little three inch folding knife is not a 12 inch Bowie. It's not a 26 inch Bolo that a lot of these Filipino martial arts, are, where the knife work comes from sword work, the stick work comes from sword work. And there, you know, in the Philippines, a knife is the, the distance from your middle finger to your elbow. That's what they call a knife. Yeah. Only in America do we call knives, you know, these little three inch folders. They're not the most robust, 
um, fighting tool. Let's put it that way. So yeah. I want to maximize my effect here by going right for their face. If I'm really close to them, I can follow their body right up to their face. I don't necessarily have to stick them a bunch of times in the midsection because they might not even feel it. I, I had an incident um, where, and I know of other instances where people have been, you know, stuck and they didn't even know they were stuck. So, you know, it, you know, we look at, but w- when somebody gets something in their face, especially a sharp piece of metal, or in between their legs and you start uh, poking around, people generally have a, a bit of more of a psycho- psychological reaction to that. Um, they do, at least in training, with metal folders and with padded folders, people react. So yeah. I, my, my only assumption is to say, well, if people react that way in training with metal folders and with padded you know, fixed blades, when we start poking each other in the face and between the legs, if they react that way, imagine what the reaction would be if it was a real knife, you know? So again, nothing's perfect and I'm not saying my way is the best. It's just my goal is to get them off of me and keep them away from me. And that seems to, um, you know, work pretty well for us. Well, and the other thing is that everything around the face bleeds like crazy and you can't stop. Anybody that's ever cut themselves shaving or, you know, cut your ear or anything like that knows it takes forever. It just wants to bleed and bleed and bleed. And, so, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, it's gonna, they're gonna very quickly see blood all over the place, probably maybe even freak out. And, uh, and if it's a forehead cut or something like that, probably bleed very much in their eyes, making it very hard for them to see and stuff like that if, if they're continuing to fight. So, yeah, good. Yeah, there's, there's what we refer to as a lot of physiological pluses to that targeting area as well as psychological pluses. Yeah. I mean, like you said, scalp. The, the cheeks, there's a lot of vein, you know, veins, vasculature in the cheeks, the neck, the eyes. Uh, the number one thing is, is people are human beings. Any, any mammal, especially a predatory mammal, mammal is extremely protective of their eyes. We have very well ingrained mechanisms for protecting our eyes. And so when you threaten the eyes on somebody, it sends a very, very strong psychological message. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chris, let's, I think the only thing we're missing here is some sort of drill that somebody can use at home to, to try and train for some of this stuff. We've already talked about how you can, you should take a few minutes each day. I, and I, and by the way, that's, uh, I think some of the best advice we've ever gotten from you. And I think people really got a lot out of that was like the daily routine of really just practicing, practicing some sort of tactical deployment or something, whatever you can do just for these micro training sessions, I think is, is brilliant. So is there anything that somebody can do um, besides just like practicing opening, you know, getting to their knife and opening it up? Is there anything that somebody can do, even if they're solo, even if they don't have like a training partner, that they can practice what it would be like or some, develop some sort of skills for combat folder knife fighting? Yeah, uh, I think the first thing to do is once you've got your folder that you have bought and selected and, and fits your hand and, and meets those criteria that we talked about earlier is number one, spend a little bit of time, take a couple weeks of just deploying the blade, getting good at being able to one hand open the blade with both hands. So like, like you mentioned, it might not always, maybe I decide to carry it on my left side. So I need to be able to flick open that blade or push open that blade. Uh, or inertia open that blade with one hand, uh, from both my strong hand and my non, my dominant hand and my non-dominant hand. So a little bit of time on deploying the blade. And then we take a little step backwards and then take the knife and clip it into the pocket, on the pocket or in the pocket, on the pocket shield, like what we utilize or wherever you're going to carry a waistband. 
and then spend a little bit of time accessing and then deploying the blade. So, again, this is where a training folder is worth every dollar, you know, because it's a dull knife. I drop it on my floor. I don't chip my the tip of the knife off. I don't stick it in my foot. So be smart about your training and your practice. Um, so the method that we teach, that I teach, and that I think I'm the only, I think I'm the one that came up with is what we call STAB, and STAB stands for slap. So if it's in my dominant side pocket and I got it clipped in my pocket, I slap that pocket with an open splayed finger hand. So my fingers are splayed open as, as best I can, and that is to give me immediate tactile reference where the folder is or where the folder has migrated in my pocket, on the lip of my pocket throughout the day. Because I might clip it right in one specific spot at the beginning of the day. And as I move around, get in and out of a car, get it up and down from my desk, do whatever, it moves around. Everybody knows this, you know. So if I just immediately go to that spot every time when I practice, that's great. It might always be there when I'm practicing, but then the day the fight comes, it'll have moved on you. So to eliminate this, and, you know, this kind of uh, Murphy's, you know, moment, that splayed finger, I slap the pocket and one of my digits will feel immediately where it is. The key in stab is tuck. I take my thumb and I tuck it as deep down behind the, the, the folding knife as I can and try to get a good deep tang, you know, a forward grip on that knife, okay? And then the A is access. So slap, tuck, access. And access means I bring the folder out of the pocket and I, I get a good closed fist grip around the folder because like you and I spoke about earlier, we may or may not have the time. Uh, we might be under assault. We may or may not have the time to even deploy the blade. So with it, a good full uh, hand grip on the folder, kind of like a fist load, I can even take that knife, that closed folder and strike with the pommel or with the, the top end of it if I have to get a couple strikes in with that, like a, like a hammer fit. Hmm. before I even deploy the blade, just to get the guy to kind of maybe guy or guys to kind of slow down a little bit or back off of me a little bit. And then the uh, B is brace. I slap, tuck, access out of my pocket, and then I brace it against my hip with, and deploy the blade with the blade in between me and the adversary. So I brace it against my hip because I don't want it out and away from my body waving around. The farther the knife, the folder, when I open and deploy the blade, it is away from my torso. There's a couple things to think about. Number one, it's easier for the adversary to key on and see. And if they see it, they don't want to get cut by it. They don't want to get hurt by it. So they're going to immediately go for that weapon. And now I'm fighting over the tool that I want to help, you know, I want to be able to put into service to help defend myself. I don't want that. So by immediately practicing the bracelet against my hip, I've got it against my body. It's in a good, it's right between me and the bad guy. So when I do deploy the blade, if they do rush in at me, it's kind of like them rushing into that. You know, in, in uh, Braveheart, when, you know, Mel Gibson's got the guys in the field and they pull the big giant trees up when the cavalry's attacking, it's kind of how I look at it, is that knife is now between us and they have to go through that, go into that point in order to get in close contact with us. And then that hip point where I, where I place the pommel of the blade once it's, or pommel of the folder allows me a good springboard effect for that straight line thrusting type motion to get up into the face and in between us and send that message to get away from me. Leave me alone. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not your victim today. 
Wow. Yeah, I haven't heard that uh, that acronym or that method before. So that's that's awesome. So really, really good stuff for people to kind of practice that deployment. And then, you know, we talked about a lot of the combat techniques from there. So uh, but that's just getting it out is three quarters of the battle. So so awesome stuff, Chris. This is uh, really good stuff, man. I appreciate it. Um, these are things that you don't hear a lot of out there. You don't see a lot of training like this. And listen, everyone. Um, I've seen videos of Chris doing his training and, and his, and his tactical team. And, uh, it's, it's unlike other close quarters combat training that I've seen out there. It's definitely worth even traveling to checking out his training calendar and find out when he's got classes coming up because you don't find this a lot out there. And what you do find may not always be the most practical, not to take anything away from people that are into martial arts and things like that. But as Chris says, a lot of the like Filipino type stuff and things like that may not work best for you out on the street or in a courtroom. So there's lots of different things you need to take into account. And what I like about Chris's training with all of his training is that it's based upon real world force on force pressure testing that really reveals what works and what doesn't work in a real attack. It's really hard to find out there and you should definitely go check out Chris's website and his training. Go on over to www mdtstraining.com. And until our next Modern Combat and Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying train hard, stay safe, prepare now. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.